Welcome to Taking Back Control, where we uncover the myths and break down the nuances around gender-based violence. This is a space where we talk to advocates and professionals in the field to truly understand what their role is and ways we can help detect, prevent, and move towards the goal of ending gender-based violence. We believe that it is never too late for survivors to take back control of their lives, and the first step is shining a light on this all-too-common subject. I am your host, Christina Jones. Let's get ready to take back control. This podcast will discuss gender-based violence and may be distressing. We invite you to pause if you feel overwhelmed. Professional advocates are ready to help at the National Domestic Violence Hotline, 800-799-SAFE. That's S-A-F-E, and at the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-HOPE, that's H-O-P-E. Welcome back to season two of the Battered Women's Justice Project's podcast, Taking Back Control. We are super excited to be back for another season. And this season is all about the work of BWJP. So we are the National Resource Center on Civil and Criminal Justice Responses to Gender-Based Violence. And we really want all of our listeners who are taking back control um, to understand kind of what we do, what are our programs, um, what are the things that we work on um, on a day-to-day basis, and how that relates to the real lived experience of survivors of gender-based violence, their families, their communities, their friends. So this season is all about us. So we wanna talk um, today about national policy and the importance of nonprofit organizations engaging in national policy. So on this episode, we are speaking with our CEO, Amy Sanchez, about some of the national work that we've been doing. So in October 2021, the Biden administration published the first national strategy on gender equity and equality. And this strategy included a strategic priority of eliminating gender-based violence and promoting gender equality and fairness in justice and immigration systems. We've responded to this strategy in a document that discusses BWJP's accomplishments and recommendations. And what we are going to talk about today is around what BWJP has done, is doing, and will do to engage with systems and national policymakers around the response to gender-based violence. You have to check this one out. All right, so I want to welcome back BWJP CEO Amy Sanchez taking back control. (laughs) Great to be here, thanks. (laughs) So um, one fun fact about Amy that we didn't talk about in the last episode that she was on is she has not only a national but an international perspective on advocacy due to the four full years that she lived in Costa Rica. So we are super excited to have Amy back. So Amy, can you tell us a little bit again about what you do um, in the field of gender-based violence? Sure. Um, You know, as the CEO of BWJP, 
mainly, you know, working with, you know, all of the lovely staff that we have and the board of directors, of course, volunteers and interns to really um, have a mission, have a vision and implement both of those things together. So it's from everything from, you know, fundraising to program development to building national partnerships, of course, all around the, the issue of ending gender-based violence. So I kind of call myself a generalist um, and I'm really pleased to have the background of advocacy, um, working directly with, with survivors, their children, and also people who use violence. Um, that gives me a better perspective, I think, as a CEO to make some of the strategic decisions that I need to make. So that's a little bit about what I do. Absolutely. And speaking of strategic decisions, this episode today, like we talked about um, in the intro, is going to be all about um, the White House, the Biden administration's national strategy on gender equity and equality. So BWJP fits right in there in terms of some of the strategic um so strategic plans that and the priorities that the Biden administration has. So we would are excited to talk to you about um, the Biden administration's priorities and how BWJP fits into those priorities. So I have a question for you initially about um, nonprofit organizations and policy. So I'm going to jump right in. Why is it important for nonprofit organizations to engage with the Biden administration or any administration for that matter on policy? I think one of the the, um, the things that I've really come through the years to appreciate about policy is the opportunity that policy provides to directly impact millions of people's lives. Um, and oftentimes, you know, when you're, you know, like, like myself, like I said, I came from an advocate doing advocacy for a long time. And when you're kind of in the trenches doing the work, right, it's hard to see what the interaction is between practice and policy. Um, but decisions that are made um, in the policy rooms, you know, whether those be local policy decisions, state policy decisions, or in this case, you know, federal policy decisions, it really does impact multiple, I mean, millions and millions of people's lives, right? Some, and one thing that I've learned at BWJP and you know, in my past job as well, working with an amazing policy person is that um, even a word, one word can mm-hmm. make the difference, right? And so I just, I think it's essential for all organizations um, to really look at the policies that are, that are being created around you Oftentimes, um, and this is getting better, honestly, and it's especially getting better in our field, but oftentimes policy decisions are, are made by people that haven't really worked what I would call on the ground mm-hmm. um, for a really long time, or maybe mm-hmm. never. Mm-hmm. And so the more that, that we all as, as programs who directly work with people and have our feet on the, firmly planted on the ground, the more that we can educate policymakers about the impacts of their decisions, um, the better results I think that we're going to have for the survivors, and in our case, for the survivors and their families that we, that we're here to serve. So for me, it's an essential piece. Um, And like I said, over the years, I've gotten more and more excited, Mm -hmm. right, about um, around, you know, just about the education and about really understanding the impact. I think lots of people also believe that policy work is lobbying. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and that nonprofits can't lobby, right? Um, and there's lots of federal regulations that I won't go into because I'm not an expert in it. Um, 
There are ways in which nonprofits can do certain levels of lobbying, but Mm -hmm. we can all do education. Right. Right. And so for me, that's the piece. It's about, you know, if there's a new, for example, if there's a new policy that's coming out, um, you know, that that dramatically impacts um, mother's ability to have custody over their children in cases of domestic violence, we want to be able to educate the policymakers about what Mm -hmm. those policies will do to real families, right? Absolutely. Um, so that's what makes me excited about it. And I think every nonprofit, every organization in general, schools, we all mm-hmm. need to ha- let the policymakers know what's going on in real people's lives so we can have better policies, period. Absolutely. I, I think one of the things that you've said in the past <clears throat> is the best national policies are really inspired by local work and outcomes. That's right. Um, which you kind of create can't create or you should not let me say that you should not create policy in a vacuum so it should be born out of actual things that people are going through actual obstacles actual opportunities to change the systems as you know a whole so we really need people um, who are on the ground ears to the ground um, to really be able to to speak to the policymakers to create good policy that's right that's right exactly so let's switch gears um, to the mm-hmm. actual White House um, gender strategy. So what are some goals or strategies that the Biden administration has that are particularly interesting to you as the CEO of BWJP? I think, um, well, just first of all, that we have this strategy is mm. interesting to me, right? because it does provide for us a a blueprint of the interests of the administration, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But also it's really, you know, and again, because of the people who put this together um, and their commitment to local realities, to local communities, to really lifting up voices of of communities that have traditionally not been heard or paid attention to, right? And policy Mm -hmm. decisions. I love just the whole strategy in general, that it's there, it's written down, people can react to it. Um, people can offer their input, et cetera, et cetera. So I just really, first of all, wanted to do a, a, a shout out around that because I think, you know, it's important and we don't, we haven't really had that in such a detailed way in the past. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of things that are really um, interesting um, to me, you know, one of their strategic priorities around eliminating gender-based violence, of course, and and issues that they recognize as key to beginning to address the elimination of gender-based violence. One is course of control, um, which, you know, BWJP has done a lot of work on in the past and is now kind of recommitted to taking a more of a leadership um, role in the national dialogue around course of control. So I can go into that later on um, as well. And then the other thing, of course, that is near and dear to our hearts at BWJP is the intersection of firearms and uh, domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and that as well comes out in the in this uh, strategy document. Um, and so, of course, for BWJP and our National Resource Center on Domestic Violence and Firearms, you know, we were, first of all, happy to see the priority in there, but also really the acknowledgement um, that this is a really important issue that we have to, as a nation, get our hands around and, and start to create and act on some strategies that will actually, you know, reduce the use of firearms in domestic violence. Absolutely. So those, those are two things I'd pull out. Absolutely. Those are two two really good things um, that I think are incredibly important in combating um, combating 
gender-based violence. That's an interesting verb that I just used, but combating, I'll go with it for right now, in combating gender-based <laughs> violence. Um, so my next question is, what has BWJP accomplished that is currently in line with the Biden administration strategy? So I would pull out um, our work on coercive control. I think it's it's exciting. And and I bring it up because we're seeing that more and more now in, in popular media, in the news. Mm-hmm. Um, there are states that are looking at the codification of course control and state, and state statutes. Um, and so one of the things I, I feel really proud about that we've done at BWJP is again, and it goes back to what I was originally saying about policy, is that we have kind of gone the extra mile from my perspective or just done good work and that we've had conversations Mm-hmm. Um, with people, you know, throughout the country, we've talked to over hundred survivors, mm-hmm. coalitions, advocates, and, and professionals within systems, right? Just to see through these listening sessions, what are the nuances? What are the nuanced views that we really need to pay attention to mm-hmm. um, when we're looking at um, the, the concept of course of control, especially course of control codification. You know, course of control has been, you know, as an advocate, we, you know, 40 years ago might not have used the term course of control. Sometimes people would use emotional abuse, um, manipulation, all different kinds of, of, of terms, right? But it really is, it's, it's all of the stuff that happens within a, within a battering situation that um, is not physical abuse, mm-hmm. right? So it could be the looks, right, that are given. It could be the threats that are given. You do this, I'll do that. I mean, there's, you know, a hundred different things that it could be, right? And the, the, the struggle, the issue is, how do, you, how do you put that into a law, Yeah. right? How do you, from a criminal, a civil, or a family court perspective, how do you really um, get it written in such a way that survivors will, survivors will not be further harmed? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even though, you know, you and I know, Christina, we've got amazing attorneys at BWJP, that's not enough. Right. We needed to go back out to community um, and say, okay, so what are you seeing? What are you experiencing in your states? What are you experiencing in your home? Mm-hmm. When we talk to survivors, right? Like really trying to um, understand so that then we could come out um, with some ideas, recommendations, thought-provoking pieces um, that are important to, to the field in general. As we, as we really address this issue that's in the Biden um, strategy, right, around, around course of control. So that's something, like I said, I'm, I'm proud of the work that our team has done um, in this area well, to do, to do this well, um, and to really center the voices, especially of those that are most marginalized in the conversation. So that's, that's one thing I'd want to talk about. Absolutely. And I would agree with you. And I've said this uh, so much that Anton, our producer is probably tired of hearing me say this, but I was a prosecutor for eight years and never once heard the term coercive control. Um, And I had handled intimate partner violence cases. Mm -hmm. Emotional abuse is something that, yeah, we talked about, but that's not Mm -hmm. criminalized. Um, So while we can talk about it in certain ways in criminal court, um, we just didn't have the actual language to say this is coercive control. And not to say that, you know, we should necessarily legislate course of control in the criminal context, but those are important pieces to know as you develop your case or your defense from the side of, right. of a defense attorney or even in sentencing. So it's important 
um, mm-hmm. to hear the Biden administration actually use this term of art and, and for us to also hear that and to do the work so that we can make sure that survivors really benefit um, in right. the end of having that language. So, Well, and I think too, with our partners right at the National Clearinghouse for the Defense of Battered Women, right? Who really work on um, issues of battered women who are incarcerated or, or previously incarcerated on probation, parole, right? The issue of coercive control is often so minimized, mm-hmm. um, but it's front and center in, in a lot of those cases as well. So really, you know, again, kind of what we've philosophically, a lot of the shifts that, we, that we've made at BWJP is to really embrace the, the totality and the complexity of survivors' lives, right? And coercive control is right in the middle. So Absolutely. I really appreciate that, that piece of the strategy. And shout out to the National Clearing House for the Defense of Battered Women, who will have an episode this season, season two of mm-hmm. Taking Back Control. So we are super excited, excited to dig in um, with their work. So Amy, my next question is, what are some recommendations that we can offer as an organization, BWJP specifically, to help the administration achieve their goals? Mm-hmm. So, um... I think there, what I'd really like to um, highlight is um, around the area of firearms, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because like I said, there's so much to do there. And we oftentimes um, think of domestic violence and firearms only in the perspective of homicides, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also, you know, again, going back to coercive control, right? Mm -hmm. Firearms are used a lot in coercive relationships, right? So- so I think, again, understanding the full range, right, of how firearms are used um, in fatal and non-fatal um, incidents of, of domestic violence is a critical piece. So, you know, really looking at, at, at the role of firearms, right, mm-hmm. in both of those, uh, those kinds of, of domestic violence um, situations. Also, you know, jurisdictions really, really need and need and are asking for training and guidance and support on firearm firearm relinquishment mm-hmm. um, you know there is a statute right a federal statutes that offer a roadmap um, to local jurisdictions so you know we've done a lot of work and will continue to work with um, local jurisdictions that are interested in doing this um, through training consultation and then we also about four or five months ago launched a model protocol Mm-hmm. Um, for firearms relinquishment um, that, from my perspective, is, is a very kind of simple way to address a complex issue and a complex problem. Um, and so I would really encourage people to look, you know, to look at the model protocol that we have on our website, um, because it does offer some, some actionable solutions mm-hmm. for local communities, which I think is, is important. Yeah, and sometimes those uh, simple solutions are the best. <laughs> the mm-hmm, simple, clear, exactly. direct. It may seem like a complete and total, like, duh, <laughs> but it sometimes isn't that. Sometimes it, it takes, like, right. yeah, the step back to say, okay, what are the four things that I that's can right. do in this situation that are quick, easy, actionable, but very impactful? Mm-hmm. That's right. So, Amy, I have one more question. Yes. What is the one thing? that you would like to share with survivors of intimate partner violence that may help connect the dots of why it's important to give input on national strategy? Well, with survivors specifically, it's it's a bit of what I I talked about at the beginning around Mm -hmm. local organizations, right? Um, 
being involved in, in policy and educating policymakers on the issues. Um, I think that survivors offer obviously of their lived experience and a unique perspective. I think it's also really important for us as, organiz as advocacy organizations to do a better job of reaching survivors that again, have traditionally not been reached or have been reached and then their voices have been minimized. And I think specifically of racial and ethnic communities, but I also think of LGBTQ communities, for example, you know, we just recently um, completed a project, right? Um, talking to and listening to um, bisexual uh, survivors of violence. Mm -hmm. And especially young survivors of violence and their perspectives are so important, right? And again, this, they experience, this group of people experience violence, you know, at, at higher rates than, than other groups, right? Mm -hmm. But yet when you look at policy, their lived realities, their, their needs, but also their solutions are not necessarily represented, right? And so, right. So um, as advocacy organizations, we have to do a better job of reaching survivors that have not been reached. Mm -hmm. um, and so my shout out, really my encouragement to survivors is that you know, your voice is important and your experience is, is important. Mm -hmm. um, and if you talk, you know, if an organization comes and says, hey, tell us about your experience and you tell them about your experience and they ignore you, go back to them. You're mm -hmm. ignoring me, you know, you're not listening to what I'm saying. Um, right. Because that's the way that we can again impact policy. I know, you know, organizationally at BWJP, we we have started um, a lot on, on a long journey to intentionally center um, the lived realities of survivors in all that we do, mm -hmm. and grappled with how do we do that with integrity, yeah. right? Because the it's like I'm saying the reality is sometimes a survivor or survivors will come and say, BWJP, we want you to do this, this, and this. And we might say, oh, that's not in our mission or, oh, that's, you know, have you thought of the legal ramifications mm -hmm. or whatever excuse we could give, right? So then how do we authentically back, go back to survivors and say, you know what, we're not going to do this. Mm -hmm. And what is our obligation to actually critically look at ourselves and maybe rethink our own strategy? If, yeah. you know, many survivors are saying that a topic is important, that something is important in their lives, why are we not taking it on? Mm -hmm. Or why are we not sharing it with our policymakers or our partners, right? Like, so I think it, it um, for survivors, keep talking, keep sharing, keep educating, um, mm -hmm. because you will find organizations out there that care, authentically care mm -hmm. about your realities. Um, and without, without your voice, right? And your stories, mm -hmm. um, the policy will, will fall flat. So keep talking. That's my biggest recommendation. Absolutely. And don't get discouraged by the no, because sometimes we have That's to right. hear the no as, all right, how can I get you to a yes? What are the things that you need for the yes? And a lot of times for organizations, as they start thinking through the, what can I get? What, what do I need to get to the yes? That's when a lot of new ideas and new strategies and new That's ways right. to get over obstacles really can, really can happen. But that doesn't happen without having those real people who go through real situations, um, really highlighting those situations to advocates in order to bubble it up to policy um, makers or go directly to your policymakers. Your congressman is there for you just as That's they right. is there, are there for anybody else. So I do think it's super important to use your voice. So That's right. Amy, we are so excited 
Um, because the other thing that we're doing is we want to make sure that everybody has access to BWJP's um, response to the White House National Strategy on Gender Equity and Equality. So not only mm-hmm. is it in the show notes, but please make sure you go to BWJP.org. Um, it will be on our website. You can check it out. You can read it. We encourage you to. Um, and it's also a link to the actual Biden administration strategy on there as well. So you can check it out right. um, as well. So Amy, anything, anything that you, I was just going to say anything mm-hmm. that listeners want to share about our responses or our thinking, mm-hmm. um, you know, please let us know. We'd love to hear your feedback, even on our response, because um, that's how we continue to learn and grow too. So, you know, please, please let us know. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Amy. It's always a pleasure to have you on Taking Back Control. Thank you. It's, it's my pleasure. It's, it's a great opportunity to talk with you and to learn from you and and share a little bit about what we're doing. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Taking Back Control. Remember, centering the stories of marginalized communities is how we strengthen the advocacy work of preventing gender-based violence. And we all have our part to play. Talk to you next time. This podcast series was supported by grant number 90EV04400100 awarded by the Department of Health and Human Services. The viewpoints contained in this podcast are solely the responsibility of the interviewees and do not represent the official views or policies of the department and do not in any way constitute an endorsement by the Department of Health and Human Services.